Hello everyone and welcome to episode 8 of the Balance and Wellbeing podcast. My name is Sam Eddy and we have Katie with us again. How are you Katie? I'm good. Hi everyone. Hi Sam. Uh, good to be back. I missed uh, last week's but I've had a listen to the, the last podcast and it was fantastic talking all things food as medicine. So um, that was great to listen to. Hope you all enjoyed it. Today we're talking about um, perfectionism. Um, and Katie, as always, we've had a bit of a chat about this. Um, such a great topic. Um, we've had lots of subscribers to this podcast, probably for obvious reasons, because I think maybe deep down we kind of know perfectionism is something in certain times of our lives, at least we've all striven towards and recognise that it can be a good and a bad thing potentially, um, depending on who we are and where we're at in life. Um, but before we get into it, just a couple of reminders. Um, that would love to hear your questions. Um, so in the question box, if you've got any questions about this topic, any examples you want to share, any scenarios perhaps you want us to answer, um, just put them in the question box at any time. If something comes up um, that's topical for you, please ask it um, and we'll endeavour to get to all those questions during the podcast. Uh, we are recording it too, just to let you know, so you can listen to the podcast again after. They will be, it will be emailed out to you via a link. Um, a quick reminder for next week, I think the 22nd of August, we'll be talking about self-sabotage, so a related topic. Um, but just remember that you do need to register for each individual podcast. Um, I think I've covered off all the admin points. Um, but Katie, I think when we were talking at the start, I was talked about a, you know, what does perfection mean from a definition perspective? I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, look, it's it's a great one to be exploring. Um, to me, when I feel perfectionism, it's always striving for something else or something next or something more, and predominantly coming from that lack of self worth, I suppose, for us to be presently feeling actually that feels complete or that's enough or even um, appreciating what, what we've achieved in that. And if that appreciation isn't there, then there will always be that striving for the next of what's more, what, what else, et cetera, rather than actually feeling that completion. Um, and then I suppose, it, you know, it's such a big topic, but then no wonder there's an epidemic of burnout today because of that strive for perfectionism and then people always, you know, yeah, not, not sensing when actually that's enough, that, that's enough for today or that's enough for that project, etc. What about you, Sam? What do you um, relate to in relation to perfectionism? Look, a lot of what you've said rings true to me. Um, that When you talk about burnout, that's an interesting one. I think when we try and perfect everything um, too much to that extreme level, um, there kind of is no end to it it's kind of it's like a cyclical thing and it and the process of perfection can never end theoretically so therefore the word or the idea of burnout rings true i think that's probably a part of why people do burn out and get to a point where it all gets too much um and and i guess linking to that one of the words for me around perfectionism comes with the idea of control needing to control all outcomes in a practical sense, especially at work and at home, it makes sense to want to control outcomes to get that certainty in life. And there's nothing wrong on a practical level with um, aiming to get things done, you know, giving a certain level of certainty and control. But it's when it switches over to that real need or not being able to cope if things aren't perfect or not being able to move forward if things aren't perfect, that's when I suspect it can be become an issue for people and start to become a barrier and hold people back from doing the things that they really want to do. And I think we can get lost in the perfectionism um, and get tied down with it as opposed to it um, being something to strive for to enhance whatever it is we're doing in life. Mm, yeah, very true. And just as you were talking then, um, Sam, I could really feel the limitations on a deeper level of perfectionism. So apart, you know, when we look at just from the control factor, we can say, well, what's influencing that control? It can be fear. Um, if, you know, you can see how it comes into our style at work, how we are, be it um, as an employee, be it as a manager, 
um, be it as having responsibility on all different levels, um, as a parent, parent with our kids, etc. And when that perfectionism's there, it doesn't allow space to the level that's needed for a lot of learning to take place, etc., or for contributions from others. And if people feel that um, sense of, of perfectionism in there, it, it creates a tentativeness, um, be it in, within those that are working around us or, or be it with our kids as, from a parenting point of view. So the very thing that we're trying to avoid in perfectionism is actually fueling perfectionism. So if we look at control, we're wanting to have it measured, we're wanting to have an outcome, et cetera. But if we're in perfectionism, then it limits that. So it's quite interesting to feel the contradiction. It's funny because I had written paradox in um, some of my notes, just in, in thinking about this topic and preparing for the discussion. So I think that's true. I think it, and I'm really keen to know what um, our listeners are thinking, if you've got any questions, or what do you think about perhaps that paradox or it's or the fact that perfectionism can be a bit of a contradiction uh, because, or when does it, when does perfection and perfectionism or that strive to be perfect become a problem as opposed to, you know, trying to do a good job, do a thorough and complete job. But at the same time, when does it become a problem where, you, where it's stopping you moving forward and potentially causing stress in your life? Um, so I guess that's, to my mind, where the paradox can come in, it, it's something that you know, we we all get told at work, um, at home. We've got to achieve, we've got to grow, we've got to develop ourselves, we've got to do really well, we've got to um, do our best. Um, attention to detail is important. We often get told, um, especially early on in our careers. Um, so, and when we do make mistakes, often there's criticism that comes with it. So it's something that we learn that striving for perfectionism is good often we see examples of success in the sporting world in academia where getting everything right or correct is rewarded so i suspect the idea of perfectionism comes in early on we absorb these messages around it um, but at the same time if we don't have any perspective or maybe distance from needing these outcomes to happen for our happiness then it can become a real problem because we can spend so much time trying to be perfect, control every single outcome, when in reality we know it's impossible to do that. Does that make sense, Katie? I sort of yeah, absolutely. Taken and, with that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And in that control, um, there's so much that gets missed out. Um, especially, I've personally just bringing an example in. I've been doing a lot of reflecting. Parenting-wise, my kids are in the teenage years now, which is a very different set of situations, circumstances, et cetera, as, uh, to when they were younger. And, you know, coming into that 18-year young adult, et cetera, making adult decisions or seeing that you have that ability to make adult decisions and, you know, having to let go for that learning to take place, even though you may sense that the outcome's not going to be so great, but it, it might be as well. So just because you've had your experiences with whatever life choices, et cetera, um, you know, realising that for someone else, and I'm using that just as, a, as an example that you can relate to that in a work situation, project situation on many different levels, that, um, you know, the, the biggest gems that we've learnt in life are from what's called so-called mistakes. And I hate even using that word mistakes because to me it's only a mistake if you don't realise in the time what is needed if that's not activated. If that makes sense. So totally. you know, there's, yeah. there's gold when you go, okay, that hasn't worked or I can see where I imposed there or I can see where this wasn't quite right. So that's the gold. And then if we activate that, things are so much more expanded and, and so much more productive, et cetera. So, yeah, it's, to me it's only a mistake if we don't activate that learning. Um, I mean, what do you think that, about the world word failure then? Because I think you're right hitting on that point about um, mistakes we do learn from our you know in inverted commas mistakes our in inverted commas you know failures yeah. but the way they're characterized it's almost like I've I don't know but my, I think my perception growing up was that mistakes and failure are wrong you know you get a red mark next mm. to them it's a negative experience you've got to do better you've got to improve you've got to be better so now I think there's a lot of 
um, work that talks around the importance of mistakes and failure. And I, I get that intellectually, but I just don't know if we've got the wording right or the way we talk about it still prevents people. So we might say, yes, it's, yes, yes, in hindsight, it's good to fail. I've learned so much from that, but no one still wants to fail again. <laughs> yeah, so, so I don't true. know what you think about that. I, I love where you're taking this because it's well, what is publicly perceived to be failure. And um, again, if I, I make it practical, I was working on a project with a corporation and um, they hadn't delivered uh, in time and there, there was a, yeah, a delay for, for many kind of temporal justified reasons, et cetera, but still, you know, there was an opportunity for that team to look at a pattern that had come in, in always, you know, in being on the back foot, et cetera. So, you know, it's, it's part of humble pie and, and looking at that and going, okay, it's a team approach. Everyone's um, contributing to this. Everyone's got a time to, to reflect on it. And what was really beautiful is seeing that honesty that the team started to go to. And yes, publicly, you could say that wasn't so great. There are repercussions, but what it is allowing that team is to go to a much greater level of um, effectiveness, efficiency, and relationship building as well. So it's how we approach the perceived mistakes or failures or whatever we wanna call that. Again, it comes back to, well, what's the learning? And it's only that mistake if we're not activating then what's needed because in most situations, when we look at back at life, when we see that pivotal turning point where you could say that wasn't a great choice, it's allowed us to make a much better choice. Yes, absolutely. And I think, yeah, no, it does. And I think, I don't know if this is what you're getting at as well, Katie, but showing or demonstrating understanding of why mistakes and failure have occurred so that in, in many aspects, it's a logical outcome. If we understand how someone got to a point where they made an, a mistake, it makes sense that it happened that way. Um, and that, to me, can take the personal out of it. It can take ego out of it. And so that we're able to really, as you say, with that example, the learnings can come through because you're creating an environment where we're not, it's not about um, attacking people or blaming or finger pointing. It's about really just understanding why it gets to a point where mistakes have been made um, so that everyone goes, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I get it now. So this is how we need to move forward. Yeah, yep. Beautiful because, and, and a very um, poignant point there was our reactions. Um, and I've had to really work at this. So I was brought up in a family that um, very high, had high expectations, et cetera. And I could just see how that pattern was following through and then said, actually, I don't want to put that on onto my kids. Um, and it was just such a relief when you start looking at it and um, exploring that and, and just be becoming more real with yourself. And, and I think it does take that vulnerability to go, okay, you know, I want to work with this. I want to see where I'm putting pressure on myself. I want to see where I'm not feeling that I'm enough. And in that, then you become more transparent and it allows other people then to go there as well. Because as I was saying in this um, project, the more people were, were um, depersonalizing things and looking at the bigger picture of how the situation eventuated, then others would bring to the table more of what they could see needs improvement, um, et cetera. So it just was strengthening things. And again, we can apply that to parenting, we can apply it to work situations, to personal relationships, et cetera. Um, so the, that, the, the point you're making um, or that I'm taking from the Sam especially is that reactions, do we automatically go into a reaction of defense because we're already being super hard on ourselves. So then anytime someone indicates perhaps that we're not meeting what our expectation is, is there a natural reaction there, even if we're not voicing it in our body language? And, and often it is, that, it is that way, but we're not realizing. And then what happens is people stop bringing things up or they don't feel we're open to having that type of communication or um, being objective about something. So people then avoid bringing things up that could actually very much help us in relation to this subject of perfectionism. Well, I love it. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's so true. Um, you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking, you know, for, for anyone listening out there who perhaps recognises some examples within themselves that where perfectionism perhaps can be a difficult thing or if there's things that you're striving to be perfect at um, and you struggle to take 
or you struggle if you make a mistake or failure, maybe start to write them down or at least think about them. Um, I know for me, writing stuff down is important. We talk about this a lot on our podcast, um, just to get it out of your own head with it, get a bit of perspective on it. And just be aware, if you start to be aware of some of your triggers around perfectionism, you're kind of taking the first step to be able to get some perspective on it um, and then maybe start to change, you know, the way you respond to things or un unpack, you know, why are there certain things, whether they be parenting issues, how you respond to criticism at work, for example, the need to get everything right at work. Um, if we're putting these down on paper and starting to explore them, they, they're less, we're bringing ourselves into awareness. So the triggers can't, often aren't as potent. Um, and then while we've been talking, we had a, a question um, which is sort of comes in or a comment really. Um, and I think it was to my comment before where I was talking about when does it become a problem? So perfectionism can be, can be great in terms of attention to detail as an example, but when does it become a problem? Um, and the comments being that, um, it becomes an issue when I continuously ruminate and it keeps me awake at night. Mm. So I suspect a lot of us can relate to that, Katie. Oh, absolutely. I and mean, when it keeps coming back, keeps coming back like that, oh, I should have said this, or I should have done that, or if it's like, you know what, that moment was that moment. And then again, reflect, see where something else could have supported more and then appreciate the fact that you were open to digesting that and seeing that because that's huge that's growth that that's amazing in itself and then when those thoughts keep coming back just going no i'm not going to go there because it's just wanting to pull us into that doubt and they can be very active as well so i love that you brought that to the discussion thank you yeah i think it's a great point and i think it's it's a, it's almost just when your mind is going into that rumination mode it's a good sign that something needs to change um, that perhaps if it's uh, uh, this area of perfectionism for you is perhaps not serving you, so it might have crossed that threshold. So it's a great way to listen to your body and go, oh, okay, you know, perhaps the nervous system is under a bit of pressure. My adrenaline's been pumping for a while. Perhaps I've been switched on for a while. I'm not, uh, I haven't taken the time maybe to disconnect, to relax, to um, look after myself. Often that can happen if when we're really busy, which most of us are, um, with kids at home, at work. So it can be a good um, reminder to go, okay, you know, what is it I need to be doing to, to sort of reincorporate a bit of self-care um, into my life so that the rumination um, sort of dissipates mm -hmm. a little. Um, we've had some more questions too, um, quite a few. So we've got 50, almost 60 people Hi. online. So welcome to those who have joined us late. We've just been talking about definitions of perfectionism, control, the paradox of perfectionism, you know, trying to get things right and do a good job, but at the same time, it, you know, perfectionism becoming a barrier. Um, and I'll just quickly scroll through these great questions. So um, the the next one I've got is, how do you think you can manage relinquishing the control, um, for example, to a partner or a colleague, when you now need to span two jobs across home at work, home and work, um, wanting to have all the have all of the information to be perfect and know everything all intimately versus the actual time constraints of being able to do that? Um, you can't be at two places in once. Is the sort of the question and the comment. Does that make sense, Katie? Have I? Yeah, absolutely. So I suppose first off, just realising that when we do have a shift, if we're taking on more responsibility at work or we might be working longer hours or, you know, we've taken on more responsibility, just as Sam was saying previously, then our level of self-care, you know, it's like we can't take something on if we're not then making room for that in relation to our self-care. And often that's, we'll take on these extra aspects, but think that's fine, we're tough, we can just deal with it, etc. But we're not then shifting our rhythm day to day in the care for ourselves. So that's when it becomes a bit more taxing. So I'd offer that first. It's a great question, very meaty question that's come to the table. So, you know, as we're unpacking that, um, that that'd be a point to recognise, wow, I'm asking more of myself, so therefore I have to give myself more as well. Otherwise, it's going to have an impact somewhere. And that doesn't have to mean volumes of time, you know, it could it, it's just the quality that you offer yourself that consideration, making sure that you're getting the food you need or when you're hungry, you're eating or when you need to go to the bathroom, you do, you know, all those basic things. 
um, that when we're stre stretched a little bit more, sometimes can go to the back burner. And then it's such an, a very common aspect that if we are feeling a bit more stretched, to go into that control so that we're feeling safer within that. And it's a catch-22 because it doesn't actually exist. It doesn't actually achieve that. We think it is, but it's making it hard. And our nervous system has to work so much harder when, we've got con when we go into control and it depletes the body on um, such a, a great level. So, because it, it, it's a stress, it's a, it's a great stress contributor. Um, so just acknowledging those things first and then, uh, you know, just having a look at that self-dialogue too is how much of that thought process is negative or is always striving for something else, et cetera, or worry, could be fear, could be worry, and then starting to work with that by going, hey, you know what, that is not supporting me. Now my focus needs to be here. So it's like parking it. It's like saying to yourself, actually, I'm not going to go there because all that's going to do is deplete me as well. What yes. else, Sam, do you feel from that question? Um, look, I think it's. I think what you're saying is true. Uh, I think um, when you talked about the impact on the nervous system, the nervous system we know when we're stressed um, has pumps adrenaline, cortisol, all these whole stress hormones around our body, which fuels symptoms: the heart racing, um, you know, palpitations, um, all that stuff that gets us aroused. Um, and uh, I think it's a good point you make by bringing that up, Katie, because it can fuel our um, perfectionized, if that's the word, perfectionized thinking, where we're we're feeling the need to be in control. Um, the questioner talks about how do I relinquish control when we're stressed and tired. Our thoughts and our feelings are being fueled by adrenaline. It feels much harder to let let go of control, and the body actually bluffs us and tricks us into thinking that we need to be in control. So when we are tired and stressed, everything feels that much more important because fear starts to come in. So if that resonates for you, you know, whoever's listening, where, where you're at in your life, often um, touching base with our body, um, what's going on in terms of how we're feeling and recognise that if we are tired or stressed, that's when it's time to sort of, you know, um, slow down, um, try and create a bit of space in your life might just be slowing down by 10% or whatever it may be, um, reincorporating self-care, as I said before, so that you're not so driven, all the adrenaline and those are ne that, that negative um, tension that's in your body is fueling that need to be perfect because ultimately it can be a bit of a bluff. In our calmer moments, we get perspective and we can go, oh, okay, actually, that doesn't need to be exactly like that. I don't actually need to know everything. Um, and the other thing I was going to mention was the concept of vulnerability. Uh, it's talked a, a quite a bit about by people like Brene, Brene Brown. Um, it's talked about in leadership. So leaders becoming or, or great leaders and, and people in their teams wanting leaders to be vulnerable and not to have all the answers and letting actually giving up some control and letting people around them come up with the answers. So I think um, our, all our fears, and we probably all have them, the fear of being vulnerable can also drive that need for perfection and control. Mm, beautiful. And then with that, why, you know, why is the concern with that vulnerability and, and seeing that often that that's been portrayed as a weakness when it's the absolute opposite. Your vulnerability allows you to sense what's needed. And if we're allowing ourselves to sense what's needed, then we're not going to overdo it. We're going to feel like we were talking about before, actually, that's enough for today. Or I've worked consistently today. That's great. I'm going to park that. I'm going to get a good night's sleep, good meal, have a bit of time with my family, revisit tomorrow because you're appreciating what you have achieved in that time frame. So, um, yeah, yeah, as far as allowing that vulnerability to actually then be able to sense. And a great, great starting point too is that honesty to go, you know, what I am being controlling or I can feel this weak. You know, I've just been on, on the edge. I've been tense. I've been um, more critical within myself and more critical to others. So that's a huge step to start to get to know what your pattern of control is, how it looks, how it feels in your body. And in addition to that, the people around us are great, great reflections. 
because they might be short with us, you know, and we just miss it. We're it's like, it's like a mirror, isn't it, sometimes? Yeah. <laughs> we're in our stuff and then we're just not seeing all these amazing cues around us and kids can be a great reflection. We can go, oh, the kids just seem on edge and, or they're, you know, they're talking back more or but we've got to stop and go, well, what energy am I in? How am I talking? Um, so, yeah, I'm really working with that one more so. It's amazing. It's amazing the cues you can get and then just in my of that self-reflection. So, so all we can be in that place where we go, once everyone's, you know, short this week or, you know, people would be touchy, <laughs> but it's like, hang on, where are we? <laughs> yeah, that's right. And look, this, I mean, I don't know if this reflects your experience too, but in my experience, there's usually a reason. Um, there's always, if we're able to slow down that little bit, bring ourselves into awareness, there's usually a reason for stuff that's going on around us. Mm. Um, and the great thing is if we can identify how we're influencing it, so influencing our kids' behaviour, colleagues' behaviour, if we've, um, you know, if our behaviour's changed, it's it's great because you're then able then to change it. Um, mm. so I think and it it's takes really someone to go first. Time. Yes. Yeah, so are we going to wait for someone else to do it or are we going to go, you know what, everyone's tense here. So, I, yeah, I'm going to check in first. And then just even how you speak and how you deliver things, if you're working with that honesty, that's enough to shift a whole meeting. Well, that's enough to shift a whole squabble with kids at home because you're bringing a different um, platform to the so situation. True. And that's that vulnerability coming in again, isn't it? Perfect. Exactly. It's gold. It's gold. And it, look, I, I always say vulnerability is a, is a portal to true confidence um, yeah. because, you know, if your foundation of confidence is strong underneath, it doesn't matter if you're a bit vulnerable occasionally or you're able to show your feelings or show that you're unsure. Mm. Um, it's not about, you know, um, being weak or, um, you know, having no yeah. direction. It's just about being really present and going, oh, gosh, look, something's going on here actually I can't take this on at the moment I've got too much going on and and it can be done with with real confidence while still not having all the answers and we're all the same we're all exactly the same on the inside we mask it and then we go into oh that's how I should be at work or that's how I should be as a mum that's how I should be as a dad if we take all that away we're all exactly the same so if you're sensing something and you're feeling someone someone else may just not have clocked it consciously but they're still feeling it because one person can't, you know, mm. it's not like one person's got that gift and someone else doesn't. It just depends how much, you know, how many layers of protection we've got there or how much we're not wanting to share of ourselves, etc. But if you look at, you know, you look at so many people that have been great success um, on, a, on a whole person level, it's because they have got to that point in their life where they're wanting to be more transparent, um, wanting to be more honest, they know their skills, et cetera. They appreciate their skills and they're not afraid to say, you know what, that's outside of my range. Um, you know, so-and-so can do with that or I need to get some more expertise here, et cetera. So that's where perfectionism, you know, really limits in feeling we need to do it all or we need to deliver it all. But it's very true that saying that it takes a village or a community to raise a child and how we're living now is very much more self-sufficient model. So we are missing out on a lot of that um, shared wisdom and that kind of innate wisdom be it in work or, or be it in our, our home but when we start to break that down more and allow that um, learning from each other it's amazing what can come to the workplace or the home environment as well and even though mm -hmm. our kids are younger by years they've got amazing insight and um yeah when we when we recognize that and give them the space to bring it so that we're not reacting or we're not feeling we need to be the one with all the answers and you actually say, hey, well, what do you think would work there or what's your feeling on that? It's amazing what comes out. Well, that's so true. That's, you know, it's a great point and a good reminder for us all, I think. Um, we've got a few more questions, but as I'm you know, getting to these questions, if you've got any thoughts about vulnerability or anything else we've just mentioned, because keen to know what you think about it too, if you're listening because um, it's talked about a lot, but um, if you've got any comments or questions about it, feel free to put them in the question box. But we've got another, an amazing question here, and I think it links to what I was talking about at the start around barriers. When does perfection become a, a barrier? And the question here is, or the comment here is, um, sometimes striving for perfection makes me procrastinate and therefore can't face into what is 
what what it is I'm trying to do. And I know for me that is true as well. Um, yeah. You know, from a business perspective, if I'm preparing something for a client, coming up with a new seminar or training program, mm -hmm. uh, I sort of get into it, get excited about it, and then I try and put it together. I'm like, oh, gee, okay, well, this is not right. I'm not sure about this. How will they respond? What about these unknowns? And I and sometimes the unknowns think, oh, it's too hard. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna put it aside for now. I'll um, I'll come to it when I'm feeling better. But sometimes, sometimes that headspace doesn't come. So I think uh, perfectionism um, leading to press procrastination when you when it all seems too hard is a great um, topic because it is a real barrier. Yeah, very much so, and it just brings in complication. I know that's my kind of yes. sabotage. Um, exactly for some of those examples that are being discussed, it, it's like you can't you lose some of that clarity. And then complication comes in or doubt comes in and then it's like a C and you're like, I'm not sure what that next step should be. Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I think, and I think it's such, um, you know, in working through that process, if you are able to sort of slow down and what I do, if you're not sure what the next step would be, as you say, um, it's taking a bit of time out, but sort of considered time out often I just go and read a book. Um, I'm like, okay, look, I'm, I'm blocked here. I can't get started. I'm just going to read a book um, or do an activity that sort of puts me, makes me more centred, more calm. And then I come back to it and with a bit of perspective and go, okay, I'm just going to try and do one thing and then not need to have everything completed and detach from the outcome. I think detaching from the outcome is so important, knowing that um, I'll, I'll get to it I'll complete it when I need to, but for now it's just about starting and not having to have everything correct. And, and sometimes you need to break up your physical environment, what you're doing, get away from the desk so you can come back with a clearer head and get moving with it. Yeah, cool. And that's a, yeah, that's a big starting point is realising that you're in that procrastination or you're in that complication because you can, you can go a day of being in that state and then you're only clocking it in the afternoon going, I'm not feeling so good or I'm feeling overwhelmed or I've got a bit of a headache or I've got tension, etc." So, you know, realising that and very much as, as you're saying, Sam, bringing it back to your body. That completion, um, uh, it is so huge because there's not only the sense that, okay, that has been completed, now I can focus on other aspects, but it it actually gives you more energy. So if you've got a lot of things going and you find it hard to complete, it's like a sabotage of delay of then confirming you and supporting you with your next project or whatever else you're going to be doing next. So even if it's a simple thing that you haven't paid your bills and you can just feel that, oh, I've got to pay those bills and it's just in the back of your mind by stopping and saying, that's been on my mind, I'm going to actually complete that, then that creates more space as well. So not undervaluing the simple things in life in way of completion and then how that will give you more space for some of the more complex things as well. Yes, indeed. And, and I think I know for myself, if I follow that process you're describing, if I bring myself into awareness, stop, slow down, the tension that has been fueling that procrastination can evaporate. And I'm yeah. sure we've had the experience. Once, once we just sit down and start doing something, it's, it's never as hard or as bad as we've made it out to be. Um, you know, if we give, if we sort of, you know, are able to let go of some of the guilt that comes involved, if we sort of can't do something, then we start feel guilty, feeling guilty about it, and that kind of adds more tension on on tension that's already there. So I think that's great advice. Um, we've got another question here, and I'll just read this scenario from one of our listeners, and there's a question at the end, um, and the and and the scenario is, I know someone close to me who is a perfectionist. I think. Um, and I think they find it very difficult to recognise mistakes or failure, don't like criticism. They make excuses as well. So are we saying, Katie, that they should be more vulnerable and admit to the mistake? Yeah, look, if someone's not wanting to go there, they're not wanting to go there and we can't, you know, all we can do is look at our patterns and or our um, situations that we're creating and by that then that gives someone else the opportunity as well if they want to go there but some people won't want to let go because it's a form of protection it's a form of keeping people out as well 
and and your focus then becomes about that perfectionist um, aspect or whatever it is that that you're working with so that you're not fully available to I don't know if, if people can relate to that but um, it could be you know you may have friends that there's always issues there's always something etc and that's actually taking them away from themselves and, and what could be supporting them at the time so I'd just say in relation to that that bias taking that responsibility of looking at where we may go into those patterns of perfectionism or control then if someone wants it, it it's like living by example I suppose and that's pretty powerful um, by you being vulnerable someone else will go oh wow they may not clock say it but they're clocking it that that's pretty cool how that person was able to be that honest with themselves etc so it doesn't all have to be said as such it's just how you're working with things yourself and then that provides a reflection for other people but um yeah some people will be open to working with that within themselves and some people won't so it's respecting that yeah i think that's great katie and the question is just come back and, so, and sort of said great so we can role model the vulnerability that's a great way of capturing yeah. it that's um, it and absolutely also, Sorry, I was just going to say, and, and respecting yeah. that for some, whatever hurts they've had as to why that perfectionism is so strong, they may not be ready. But those that are ready, they will. Um, and I've seen that very much so the last few weeks, um, just with the projects that I was talking about before, et cetera, and someone going, well, they just went to a whole different level of honesty within themselves, within their team, and what was happening, brought it to the table, brought a depth of transparency. Um, and also just a, another practical example, I remember my daughter was about five at the time and we were in you know the three-year-old and then I was picking up the five-year-old from car line and I got into the wrong car line it was all very complicated with heaps of cars and all stuff's going on yeah. and I said um oh, I've made a mistake I've gone into the wrong line and she was quiet and then she looked at me and she said but mommy you don't make mistakes and it was <sighs> such a bold opportunity because <laughs> one I had no idea she put me on a pedestal and two, I, I was able to say, I make mistakes every day and this is what I learn from them, et cetera. And she was That's really quiet and really listening. Yeah, and I, I just thought, thank you for that opportunity because I had no idea that was going on. And, um, you know, so just by that living, um, that transparency yourself, uh, yes. it's very, very powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And the whole that whole idea of role modeling the behavior that you think is useful to other people. Um, I think you said, Katie, we don't always have to say it. Um, and to many people who are, you know, in that perfectionist mode, often they're going to be unconscious to it. I've talked about the concept of being yeah. unconscious. So being so lost in your everyday that you might not have awareness around the fact that your perfectionism isn't serving you and, and being told that actually you need to be more vulnerable is probably going to fall on deaf ears if someone hasn't had a reason enough of a reason to change some people unfortunately need to suffer a little bit more before they're open to seeing perhaps how some of their the things that they do that need for perfect perfection if you like is um, maybe not serving them so i think the old the idea of role modeling vulnerability being really transparent um, being really open yourself and talking about examples that where say you've tried to perfect things and it just hasn't served you and how you can still be fine and and do a great job be a great parent when you're not perfect i think is such great advice um so it's a great question so thanks again for asking it and you know thanks for your response katie i think that's really resonated um this is a great topic it's, it's you know if any more questions please send them through um, any examples of how perfectionism manifests in your life um, that you perhaps want us to comment on or give advice on or just discuss more generally um, we've got one here um, in terms of when perfectionism becomes a problem so thank you for this example um, and it goes it becomes a problem when I spend an hour putting together an email due to the need to read over it a hundred times to make sure I have worded it the best way so beautiful example thank you <laughs> so simple such a common one but you know it can you know it, it can really tie you out that example can't it you know they're having to really read focus on it perhaps wondering i'm not sure if this is the case for the questioner but perhaps wondering gee you know when you send it have i got it all right what will people think if it's not right who is it going to um you know so i guess that's a great example of where trying to do the right thing can shift into that mode of being the need for, to be too perfect 
Yeah, and then in that we actually often lose the message because what we're doing, and I can relate to it, is we're reading what reactions people may have. So we're going, oh, you know, I want to say this, this is needed, but I just want to limit the reactions, etc. Just make sure that, you know, it, it's going to be okay or not have a ripple on effects, effect. Um, but we can't cover all bases and people's perceptions are different. Um, so, you know, having having a tact, et cetera, which you can very much feel from the person who's presented that, that that is there. But mm. whatever learning needs to come from whatever you are expressing, then that's part of it as well. And if, if you know that you're clear with that and that is your intention, if it's it may be pulling up someone because uh, there's been a ripple on effect from something else, et cetera, or maybe introducing new policy or whatever it happens to be, that, that we've all got our life experiences that then can create reactions. But there's work to be done and there's um, things that need to be addressed, etc. So it's getting a clarity within yourself of what your message is and knowing that what you're writing comes from that place. Then if there is a ripple on effect in any way, those conversations can take place because you know what, what you were wanting to achieve within that. Um, otherwise, yes. yeah, we can take a whole day to write an email because you keep going back to it and that's when the doubt comes in and it might be that you've got a powerful message that's really going to support and whatever needs to come up for people, that's actually getting in the way and your email might be breaking through that and, that you know, that's okay. But that clarity within yourself to go, actually, I'm doing my job, this is what's needed, this is where I'm coming from, that helps to cut through some of that doubt that can come in and trying to find different words and, and trying to make it complete. I think once we go into right and wrong, which is a real hook, we're actually gone because then we're wording things so that it doesn't come across as wrong, etc. Another example of that is, and I excuse me if I've shared this before on one of our podcasts, but I remember early on in my marriage was went shopping, unpacking um, the items into the fridge, and I turned around and said to my husband, that doesn't go there. That goes there. And then I pointed to the section I normally put it into. And I just went, I stopped and went, hey, where did that come from? He's, he's not wrong. It's just a different way of doing it. And there's nothing wrong with where it was put. And I just went, I'm sorry. I just, yeah, I really felt um, the imposition of that. So, yes, um, you know, realising what you're saying and what you're wanting to put forward, there's a reason for that and validating and appreciating that reason. Yeah, I think that um, idea of right and wrong is a big one because we all have our values of what's right and wrong. Um, often they're subconscious or they're unconscious. Um, we learn what's right and wrong in terms of various things. You know, some people, if we talk, talk about an email, some people will go, oh, gosh, how could they send an email with all these spelling mistakes? Some people don't care about it. Um, some people are just worried about the content, um, just the key messages. So. We all have differences in terms of right and wrong, and that can fuel perfectionism. Um, in my experience, this is a bit of a generalisation, but um, when we are needing to be perfect, um, and it's not across the board, but you know, if there's something that I strive for perfectionism in, in can't let go, and it's usually stress-fueled a little bit, there's usually tension behind it, I know in that area, my sense of right and wrong is pretty fixed. So I'm like, no, no, I can't compromise here you know, because if I don't do this, it won't be right or it won't be good, it will be bad. So I think it's a good point and, you know, um, when we're thinking about these triggers for us, you know, what is it, how, how rigid are our views on it um, and is that setting us up, have we got you know, really high expectations that mean if we slip up even just perhaps by writing, putting a typo in an email, that it's going to have a, it's going to be difficult to take because perhaps it's a trigger. Our expectations are super high, and it's maybe going to one of our um, perhaps unconscious triggers that is fueling this perfectionism. So they, even these, you know, everyday examples are great ways or great reminders for us to take stock and unpack a little bit. Of, well, why is it manifesting now? It doesn't manifest more when I'm tired, when I'm busy. Is it certain people? If there's a stakeholder I'm emailing to are they triggering me more than someone else? You know, what's going on here? And trying to unpack that is really important because if we understand why 
um, certain situations or triggers for us, we can go, oh, I get it now. And then you can work towards, it's a lot easier to work towards making some changes um, so you can overcome that trigger, if that makes sense. Yeah, very much so. Love what you're offering. And, and sort of along those lines, I've got a question about, you know, how is perfectionism linked to fear and worry? I know I've got a, quite a lot of thoughts on this. I think Go it's a great it. question. Um, and I think fear is a huge driver for perfectionism. Um, mm. I think there's nothing wrong with striving to do a great job, um, get everything you know, right in inverted commas so that you're, you know, everything's complete. You're, you know, you're being a great parent, you're completing a great project at work, you're being a good manager, but it's always what's fueling it. What's the drive? If you're um, trying to be the best parent you can be, but if you stuff something up, you know, oh, okay, yeah, I stuff something up, no big deal. And then you learn from it. That's a real different drive to I must be a good parent and you constantly worry about it, you ruminate over it, you're trying to be in control, you're constantly analysing yourself, thinking, you know, am, am I am I screwing my kids up, for example? Am I, you know, making them worse? Am I doing this right? Am I being a good manager at work? I think um, fear does fuel a lot of it, especially in the more extreme cases. Um, and that's linked to what I was saying before around the expectations. It's situational. Um, the triggers for each of us uh, are, are, um, um, are dependent upon our life experience, the people, how we've been brought up, the interactions we've had in our younger years at work. Um, so the, the triggers and the situations can be unique, but often it's a common fear and worry, and that can to be to do with not being good enough, um, you know, um, linking our, our self-worth to the outcomes of perfectionism. So if we... Um, achieve something that's less than perfect that kind of is we're linking it to our self-worth and that can often be a big downfall for people because there's so much vested in getting it right it, it can and they have to get it right because if they don't get it right you know their self-worth is impacted and that's a really tough space to be in um, people I don't think do it deliberately but that can be why it can be so hard to get off that perfectionism train if you like um, mm. so just my initial thoughts Katie I don't know if they resonate at all no, absolutely. I, I do feel fundamentally at the core um, of that control is fear. Yeah, I totally relate to that. Can see how that's played out. Um, and and it's pretty cool though if we just stop and go, okay, if you are feeling that control in yourself, just say, what are you worried about? And be it parenting, be it work, whatever. But something will come to you to give you an insight as to yeah okay i don't want this to happen or i don't want that to happen or i'm concerned that this will happen or this will happen to that person or whatever it happens to be and then you'll be able to be a bit more objective with the situation just by acknowledging yeah control has come in what am i fearful of what's contributing to that control and then taking it from there as to what you see in way of insight of you know because often the things we're fearful of most often none of it actually happens or if it does happen there's a reason that person needs to choose those those um, that path so to speak that's part of learning that's part of the bigger unfolding as well and so I would offer with this where we're at in the discussion what are our expectations because I see mm -hmm. the fear and the expectations very closely linked when it comes to control so if we're expecting that our kids you know uh, find do such and such for their career or that they're happy they're successful then what is our measure of success what does that role have to be then are we actually truly just wanting to them to be successful or is it that we've got certain career paths that we perceive to be successful which may not be the paths that they want to take etc so then we're putting that expectation of perfectionism onto them so again it come, we keep coming back don't we in the conversation to that self-reflection just to go, okay, I'm feeling this, where am I with it? And expectation is huge. We've got so many, so many expectations that we're not even aware of until you're in a situation where you go, oh, yeah, I do have an attachment. Or if your partner chooses something that's different to your picture or your kids that's different to your picture uh, or work turns out to be different, then it's in your face and then you can have attention going, oh, I'm not comfortable with that. And then that clearly shows that there has been an expectation there. 
Yes. Yeah, that's that's so true. Um, we've sort of got some related scenarios to that. There was a follow-up question, um, and that's how do you specifically detach your self-worth from perfect outcomes? And I suspect yes, it's, you know, it's... Sorry, you go, go Katie. No, you go for it. Um, I was just going to say, I think, you know, what you were talking about in terms of expectations is so good. Mm. I think we, like I was saying before, and it's a great question, we kind of have to understand, to my mind anyway, and the work I do with clients is very much around well, understanding why um, a certain scenario is a trigger for us. There was another question that came in and, and we can probably address both together. The question was, I feel like my career is halted. I don't know what to do next as I want to be too perfect in my current role before taking the next step into senior management. Um, yeah. So it's, so, and that's a specific scenario to you. Um, often the drivers are common, no matter what the scenario is, and it's trying to understand well, what's what it is. Why do I feel the need to be perfect in my current role? Um, you know, is fear of failure? Perhaps if I go into the next role and I and I can't cope. Often people are worried about not coping, not doing well. Um, that stops them moving forward in whatever it is. So, trying to unpack that and understand it because we. We usually need some understanding as to you know what's what's been happening in our past that might be influencing how we're thinking now. You know, often our confidence is low, not generally in all areas, but certain areas we struggle with confidence. So it might be career. Um, wondering, you know, if we have that imposter syndrome. You know, if I get there, I'm not I'm not as good as everyone else. I'm not going to be able to do as good a job. So it's important to maybe just delve a little bit in, into our past, our history and go, okay, well, is this a common theme? Is this a pattern that's been reoccurring in other situations and other areas? Because the more we can understand it, we're bringing ourselves into awareness and we can go, okay, now, now what it is do I need to do that I need to do to try and um, perhaps overcome the symptoms of perfectionism, if you like. One of the solutions I always talk about is very simple. It's around, it's around slowing down. So slowing your life down might just be slowing your pace of life down. Um, you know, the idea of self-care is extremely important, but a specific tool you might like to try is mindfulness or meditation. And that, um, you know, read up on it. We've talked about um, stress and anxiety. We've talked about mindfulness a bit before. But the idea of just slowing your thinking down, um, mindfulness is about slowing your thoughts down, not getting lost in old patterns of thinking and behaviour and just trying to get comfortable and accept the situation you're currently in as it is. It's often around detaching from outcomes. So you're not worried about what might happen in the future. You're not ruminating over the past. Mindfulness is very much around living in the moment and just enjoying what you have in the moment, being grateful for it. Um, and that starts to combat a lot of this negative thinking that we all have to a certain extent, that voice of doubt that sits on our head. It starts to quieten that down so you're able to have a clearer perspective, um, detached from you know outcomes linking to your net worth as a person, as a human, and it can start to allow you to shift just a little and move forward. So that's kind of some of the things that come to mind with those that scenario and that question. Katie, yeah, do you have any? Yeah, from, yeah, adding on from what you what you um, offered with perfectionism, because it doesn't, it's it's not real. But what generates that is it's when we're worrying about what people will think, and that's where it comes into the it's not enough, or you know we'll have to second guess what we're saying, etc., or feeling that you know there's more, there's more, there's more. And bringing it back to what, what you're saying in relation to the self-worth aspects. So what if we go about our day just going, I'm going to be in the moment like you've suggested. I'm just going to be feeling my breath. I'm going to be connected to my breath, connected to my body as I'm walking, feeling my feet touching the ground. That helps to bring you back out of that mind fog and, and to be present with the body. And sometimes it's pretty thick. We live in a world that's fast-paced, high expectations, et cetera, et cetera. So bringing your focus back to your body is hugely um, beneficial just to help slow down all of those aspects that you were talking about, Sam. And, and then when you feel those patterns coming in going, okay, actually, yeah, I'm focusing all on the outside, making it about everyone else, everything else, 
um, rather than actually what I feel is needed right now. And then as we start to do that more, it confirms more because you start to feel the benefit of it. You start to feel yes. there's more space yes. in your body. So then you go, that's super cool. Okay, even though the world's wanting me to go here, I'm going to fake, uh, focus more of my um, attention to my body, to my movements, to being with me, especially if everyone else is spinning, feeling what I feel is needed, delivering that and then see how you feel and then see how you go a day of doing that, even if it's an hour of doing that. Um, it really creates space so that you can um, think more clearly as well. Mm, I love it. That's great advice um, and such powerful stuff. And, you know, practicing these techniques, these tools, using them, you know, connecting with your body, slowing down. They, they are simple. Some people think they're too simplistic. But, um, you know, from my personal experience and the work, you know, I'm sure we both do with clients, Katie, we can just see the benefits and people can make real shifts and start to really get comfortable with the uncertainty of life. Um, if, you, if you can be uncomfortable with what might come next, or we can be comfortable with what's coming next, not worried about what comes along and knowing that you'll be fine no matter what comes along. Um, it's a really powerful space to be in and it's a great antidote to perfectionism and it doesn't stop you moving forward, trying to do a great job, trying to be a good parent, but it just takes, um, you know, the need to attach to and control every outcome. It just, that sort of falls away and it's a, it's a really lovely space to be in. So, um, it's so very true you. what you've offered, um, with simplicity because yeah, it can sound so simple. And I used to do that too. I used to go, really, could it be that simple that I just focus yeah. on my breath? breathe gently, <laughs> focus on my walking and thought, oh, what, I've got nothing to lose. I might as well give it a go. And it floored me. It was like, that's yes. actually key. That is actually the key to not live in overwhelm is to bring it back to that simplicity of caring for yourself, of making sure you're not missing out, etc. feeling what your body needs, um, yeah, to breathe gently. And even that, if you're just traveling to work and you just focus on breathing gently, that stops this this mind fog that can happen, which um, leads to exhaustion, the epidemic that we've got of perfectionism, of anxiety, etc. So, yes, absolutely. Um, very much key. And just relating to the question that came in before about wanting to be at a certain stage before we go to a promotion or before we feel we're ready, that is self-composed anyway. And it can be such a way to cap ourselves too. It's like, well, how have we learned in life? How have we learned with the previous positions that we've had? It is by going, okay, I, I'm going to learn. I'm going to take everything that I've learned with me into this new position, and then whatever I need to source in way of support, etc. You know, getting that that um, uh, framework, I suppose, around you so that you've you've got places that you can go for support, but also entrusting that you know we went from crawling, we learned how to walk. We learn how to write. We learn how to read, and you know we've all we've all done that to a certain extent. So we've you know it, it's valuing what your innate ability within yourself that is naturally there as well. Yes, and that support network. It's a great comment. You know, seeking out mentors, people who are in these positions that can, on a practical level, allay fears. You know, um, bring into the light what perhaps is unknown for you at the moment. That can be a part of it. So, um, speaking to coaches, mentors, whatever it maybe people that you trust, I think is a, you know, that network of support is so important. Mm. Were there any other um, questions? Before we no, I think we've got to them all. So Correct. thank you so much. That was a really great discussion. Um, and I think we could talk a lot more about it. And and the good news is I think um, our, um, our podcast next month is on the 22nd of August. Um, and it's on self-sabotaging behaviours, which is directly related to perfectionism. We've sort of touched on it already. Um, mm. So if there's anything we didn't get to, please make sure you sign up um, via the link for that podcast. And we I'm can certainly... Adding, um, sorry, sorry if I yes. just add to that, it's addressing addictions as well. So we're going to really be unpacking that. Um, many things in life that we go to in way of sabotage you wouldn't classify as addictions, but they actually are. So it's looking at what are, what are our flavours of addictions? Where, where do we go? What are our vices that we go to, et cetera? And then what's the impact of that and having a real frank conversation about that? It's 
Sorry, Sam, just right. wanted to add something. No, <laughs> no, thank you for reminding me because it's great. And I think, you know, perfectionism can be addictive, can't it? And that's why it can be Absolutely. hard to step off that off the perfection wheel because it is addictive. So yeah. that's a great comment. And, and and addictions are prevalent in many different forms within society. You know, if we've experienced it ourselves or we know people who, you know, appear addicted to certain things, technology, food, whatever it may be, um, I think it's, yeah, it'll, we'll, we'll unpack it next month. Mm. Um, any last words from you, Katie? No, I just thanks everyone for, for putting this space um, in your diaries, et cetera, in your day to just have a look at this very juicy, meaty subject. And um, even if you just take one aspect away and just allow that to unfold for you, having a look at what your flavour of perfectionism is, even if it's just one point that you go, yeah, you know, this is really ripe at the moment or I can feel that I'm, I'm really um, doing this a lot, et cetera, or you may see a few areas and, and just, um, yeah, letting things to unfold for you. So thank you very much. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Katie. Thanks, everyone. We'll, we'll speak to you next month. Bye for now. Bye.